I'm Tom Fordyce. And I'm Adam Jock. And together we are taking you to the very heart of Manchester Airport, lifting the lid on one of the busiest airports in the country. This episode is all about selling Manchester to the world. Now, Adam, there is a whole sales team here dedicated to persuading new airlines to fly from this wonderful city. 33 different countries, Mm -hmm. 227 flights, been to the moon twice. Manchester, most people won't realise, is actually the home of carbon neutrality in UK airports. You don't have to go far for them not to say Manchester United. So Still United before City, is it? Oh yeah, without a second doubt. Well, I mean, if you think of the phrase travelling salesman, you probably think of someone knocking your door selling you <laughs> pegs or uh, Avon or something like that. Um, but these guys are the, the sort of modern day travelling salesmen, really. It's about, you know, selling the airport to airlines around the world. But actually, more than that, it's not just the airport. It's about the catchment area and the area that, that the airport serves because... You know, airlines are interested in how many people live in the area, what destinations they want to travel to, are they doing business, are they flying for pleasure, are they doing a bit of both, what time of the year do you want to travel, how often do they want to fly business, economy, is there student travel in both directions, that sort of thing. Um, we can sell that, you know, into airlines and hopefully, you know, secure more of the services that, that people want to to fly in places that they want to connect to around the world. And it's, these, it's their job to, to package all that together and, and um, do the deals for Manchester. This strikes me, Adam, as one of the plum gigs at the airport. There are sometimes a few um, jealous faces when they're, they're telling us where they're jetting off to <laughs> um, or what conferences. And the conferences never seem to be in um, dark and dingy locations. They tend to be in these, <laughs> these glamorous places. But, you know, a lot of hard yards goes into it. I know I've been on a couple of trips uh, myself over the years and, you know, it's a jam-packed diary, you know, on top of the jet lag and, you know, lots of you know, hard negotiation and, you know, lots of information to cram in and really to get that story right because often these guys have that one chance and that one, you know, brief window with the person they're speaking to to get the deal done and, you know, often they're, they're having these conversations for many years before they finally get them to sign on the dotted line. Right, let's have a few stats here, Adam. How many airlines currently fly from Manchester? How many destinations? Well, you know, we were really proud pre-COVID to say that we had um, 70 different airlines, more than 70 in fact, and, you know, that really cemented our role as that UK's global gateway in the north and we were really proud as well that that meant we had you know almost more destinations than any other airport in the UK more than 220 different places around the world we flew to and that was that true mix of city break destinations low-cost short-haul holiday destinations but also long-haul leisure destinations and long-haul business markets that we flew to as well so there's the real mix of something for everyone in the north really Uh, and you know that was the pre-covid numbers and you know every week that goes by we're building back uh, that departure board to be back to what it was um, back in 2019. Our first guest is one of those lucky people who travels the world pressing palms and persuading new airlines to fly from Manchester Airport. Rob Smith is the airport's aviation director. So Rob, my first question is what on earth is an aviation director? We spend a lot of time doing what you've just said. We're lucky enough to travel the world, um, meet fantastic people in all kinds of different places, but the airlines ultimately and their commercial team. So what I spend my time and my team spend our time doing is speaking to carriers about wanting to fly to Manchester or carriers that are here already. We spend time speaking with them to fly more, bigger aeroplanes, more regularly. My job really is to lead the team to deliver the passenger numbers that we're expected to uh, and try to grow it as well over over the next few years. I would like to know, Rob, how many countries you have seen. 
in the course of your job here. I was looking at this earlier. I was encouraged to start a flight diary a few years ago, but I've worked for Manchester Airports Group for just under 10 years. And I started this about five years ago. And obviously that's got about two years of not doing a huge amount from a flying perspective. Apparently I've flown to or visited 33 different countries Mm -hmm. and I've been to the moon twice. Have you? Yes, apparently. (laughs) Uh, So 227 flights I've taken. A lot of time in the air. 6.7 weeks I've spent in the air, apparently. This is a very good app. All, this is all done automatically yeah. by your flight diary. Yeah, so it? what I have, to, I put my flights in and, and it maps everything. So and this isn't good for a podcast, but fundamentally that's my well, we're map. Look, yeah, we're looking at a map of the world and we can see your red lines where your flights yeah. have taken you. Lots in the States. Before COVID, we as an airport spent a lot of time and continue to as we come out of COVID now. I spend a lot of time in Asia, so China, Thailand, India. So you can see, yeah, I spent a lot of time in and out of the Middle East as we, you know, try to get to the Far East and encourage airlines to fly directly. So that's really what we're trying to do as well. Grow our route network and give the people of Northern England, of which we are the gateway, as much connectivity as possible. So how does this work then, Rob? Do you go and hunt a destination? Do you talk to the airlines? How would a deal progress? So whilst that all sounds really cool and you're on the road, ultimately it comes down to something quite binary, numbers. How many people want to fly to a destination in a year? And we start there. So we have lots of different data sets that tell us how many passengers might fly from here to, let's say, Bangkok, which is one of our biggest unserved markets. They'll all be currently flying via somewhere else. So what you do is you go to an airline that could do that. Have they got the aeroplanes? Do they want to expand in Europe, etc.? and show them those numbers. They'll know this as well, but you obviously have to put yourself in front of them and be in their, you know, in their offices and say, look, this is an opportunity. All of these passengers are flying through the Middle East or they're flying to London or they're flying various other places and, and we're trying to encourage them to start a direct route. All of the evidence we have is when we actually get a, a direct route, we see the market stimulate. We don't just move passengers from indirect flows to direct flows. That market grows and more and more people see Manchester as a place to start their journey. So they might not leak in a, a term that we use, leakage. They might not jump on a train or drive down south to London or to Gatwick or to Birmingham and they'll start their journey at Manchester. So it's all of the data that we pull together and we try to present that in a in quite a, a factual way and have an honest conversation about why we think it's a, a real opportunity. I guess it must work the other way around as well in, in, in that you're sort of selling Manchester as a destination for people from other places. So when you think about Manchester as a man from the East Midlands who's made his home in the Northwest, what aspects of Manchester do you sell? Look, I've been in strange offices of airlines that are, you know, starting out or very, you know, well-established airlines. You don't have to go far for them not to say Manchester United. So football, Still United before City, is it? Oh, yeah. Without a, without a second doubt. Obviously, the City empire is building and it's an incredibly important part of our city. But the United piece and that brand, you can have a conversation with pretty much anyone in any part of the world and they'll have a link and a, and a hook. And I'll be honest, that's a fantastic way to start a conversation. And they'll always say, what colour are you, red or blue? And I always have to say I'm a West Ham fan, which is always, you know, (laughs) we go through this funny little dialogue around football and it's a common language that we can speak anywhere in the world. So that's a great selling factor for Manchester. We're really hugely lucky to have that football tourism, which continues to grow. So again, in Thailand, you look at how Liverpool is growing and Leicester, for example. These brands, these businesses are huge and that is bringing traffic in. 
of course we have the lakes we've got the peaks we've got fantastic you know heritage this city for the 10 years that I've lived here has grown immensely so I'm hugely proud it's my family's home and we talk about the culture the art the music this city is fantastic and people across the world are seeing it now what are your other persuasion tactics so ultimately we're a commercial entity as well so you're not just selling a dream you're not you're not just selling oh that'll be nice these airlines are investing tens hundreds of millions over years in into flying into this airport so we have you know real conversations when we're when we're talking about incentivizing that growth and encouraging airlines to start flying so you don't have to go too far to think about yeah commercial incentives to encourage routes that we don't currently serve and that's another part of what we do it goes to the numbers and it goes to the commercial part of the business we are a commercial entity but we're trying to support the growth of this region and are trying to deliver that economic growth as a result do you have a mental wish list of places and airlines and cities that you would like to connect to yes so we have a document that's called toto it's top of the opportunities and that ultimately is a spreadsheet it's pretty boring but it's full of numbers and full of really interesting detail to tell us what are our top opportunities and Bangkok is our largest unserved opportunity. About 150 odd thousand passengers fly indirectly to Bangkok. So that's constantly and has been my top target for many years. We also have no direct flights to India. And for the region that we sit in and the diaspora, the Indian diaspora that we have, there's obviously huge appetite for us to secure a direct route. We have something here in the city called the Manchester India Partnership, which is the city and it involves ourselves as the airport and other parts and other stakeholders to try and encourage that, not just from an airline route network perspective, but business and engagement across India and the north. So Delhi, Mumbai, of course. And there are even cities like Bangalore and Hyderabad, you know, huge, huge cities that are evolving themselves. So, yeah, that's a huge target. And you could ultimately do this all day. We've got huge recovery targets in North America. So we used to have massive uh, flows and connections into North America, not just the States, but Canada as well. And through COVID and for various reasons, we've not seen that recovery. So we need to work hard and trying to get our West Coast services back. We used to have LA, San Fran, Seattle, Vegas, all of which aren't served at the moment. So that's a big target of ours. Africa is a huge, huge target as well. We have one connected point, Addis, with Ethiopian. There's massive, massive volumes in Africa, as we all know. So that's a key part of our target. And then even further, sort of later, smaller markets into South America, routes that we haven't ever had. But over time, why not? We should be believing that we have the market to sustain that. Which um, name on the Toto list would be most surprising to people? Marley came up, so the Maldives, that's within our top 20. So that's underlines our leisure demand from this part of the world. And I didn't realise it was so high up, actually. I would have thought, you know, Maldives, of course, is a high, you know, leisure destination, but to be up and around some key cities was was interesting. You know, things like Jakarta and Tokyo you sometimes think of Manchester as an outbound leisure orientated airport and to be fair that is where the volume of our business is we take people from the northwest on their holidays but again as I've been here for a decade or so we've seen that premium traffic that business class traffic grow and grow and grow and also people's appetite to explore more adventurous places and I think airlines actually like Emirates and Qatar and Etihad and more recently Kuwait and Gulf are opening up regions of the world that we might not normally have looked at. So Southeast Asia and the Far East as well. 
Now, I don't know if you have this exact metric, Rob, in your flight diary, but uh, what are the top three places that you have been to in the course of your job? It's interesting. So on there, it says Dubai. But for the very first time just last week was the first time I actually went to Dubai and went out of the doors. So I've been through Dubai on an aeroplane more than any other place because I've flown a lot with Emirates because of its three-a-day flights it has here and the frequency I can avail of here. So I fly or have flown with, with Emirates in the past a lot. And so, yeah, Dubai has been where I've spent a lot of time, but no time as well. But if I think back to my sort of three or four years pre-COVID when my role was head of business development and I was just out there hunting for new carriers it was smile on your face there obviously yeah. remember those days yeah well, they were, it was a, a fun period of growth buoyancy airlines growing aircraft being made that's slowing down a little bit there's lots of delays there so there was opportunity everywhere and we were in India a lot and in China a lot and in Thailand a lot and places like Singapore and KL and we're lucky the people that we work with in this team, we're all slightly aviation nerds and we like being on aeroplanes and in airports and we're sort of quite similar. We have to be quite personal because of the engagement that we have to do. So we're lucky to spend time on the roads with each other and that's fun as well. And we're lucky to see these places and experience these places because we know lots of people are here working really hard to keep this airport going and, and making it you know, the fantastic airport that it is. Right, Adam, let's do a bit of brainstorming here. What would be the things about Manchester that you would shout loudest about? I mean, in some ways, it, it depends what part of the world you come from. There are some things that are just world famous uh, about this part of the world. You know, it can be music, it can be some of the bands that have come from this part of the world. We all remember how famous Oasis were in every corner of the globe, but Stone Roses, Smiths, others like that. I dare say football is something that is uh, hugely popular. In fact, when we've added roots to places like you know, Beijing, we found people jetting in from China just for a weekend uh, just to see, you know, Man United or Man City games. We shouldn't forget also that, you know, we serve the whole of the north of England and for a lot of people around the world, this is their easiest way to get in to visit cities like Liverpool or Leeds or Sheffield or, um, you know, wherever else. So things like the Beatles Museum, things like the football teams over in Merseyside, also the countryside that's on our doorstep, so the Lake District, places like that are hugely, hugely popular and world famous. And so they're things that you can access through Manchester. I think it's interesting that we shouldn't lose sight as well that for some places that are much greater countries than the UK is, being two hours away from London is massive as well. So we're a small country and people can fly into Manchester from India, China, wherever it may be, and they know that they're only two hours from Scotland, two hours from London, an hour away from places like York, a couple of hours away from places like Durham that are just world famous and places that people want to see. I was fascinated as well that um, in some markets people are super interested in things like being the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. Cricket is huge um, in some parts of the world as well and we've got all that. So there's, there's lots to shout about. Manchester Airport doesn't just have to sell itself to destinations, it has to sell itself to passengers too. And one of the big words on all of our lips at the moment is sustainability. Now how does an airport achieve that. Our next guest is the man tasked with answering that question. Adam Freeman is the Head of Environmental Strategy for Manchester Airport. Hey Adam, nice to see you. Hi, it's good to see you. Now, sustainability is a huge area to work in. So let's start with the big question for someone like you. Can air travel ever be truly sustainable? I think air travel absolutely can be sustainable. It's 
an ever-changing world that's rapidly evolving to meet the needs of customers, new weird and wonderful aircraft. And we've proven that we can kind of shapeshift several times in the past. We're certainly up for doing that again in the future. I guess on that, there's lots of exciting work that we're doing here in Manchester and that we're working on with our industry partners around things like hydrogen aircraft, sustainable aviation fuel, which are all playing their part in improving the sustainability of the industry. Take us a little deeper into the sort of progress we're seeing in the industry more generally. Well, I guess if you look at the sorts of aircraft that we're seeing entering service now, so things like your Boeing 787s, your Dreamliners that you might go on holiday to Florida on perhaps, they're generally speaking 15 to 20% more fuel efficient than the aircraft they replace. They're also about half as loud, so for the people who live really close to the airport, there's a noise benefit as well. When you combine that step change in technology with the work that people like Rolls-Royce and Airbus are doing on things like hydrogen aircraft for the future, what we start to see is kind of a real trail of progress, both in the past and looking forward to the future, which you then combine with sustainable fuels and you improve even further. What sort of timescale are we talking about here? Well, we're seeing those aircraft in service now that are much more efficient. We're looking across the UK, actually, but particularly here at Manchester to improve airspace efficiencies by kind of redesigning the routes that aircraft fly through the sky around our airports and then onto their destination. That That's a programme of work that is rolling out this decade and will deliver about 20% of the industry's decarbonisation this decade, actually. We expect to see hydrogen and electric aircraft in the next decade, in the 2030s. And by 2030, we'll see 10% of the fuel here at Manchester coming from sustainable sources. The general feeling seems to be that we should all be trying to reduce the amount we travel. So how polluting is consumer air travel? Well, I think it's right that people think about what it is they're doing. And as an environmentalist, it'd be crazy for me to say anything otherwise. So... We're committed here at MAG to playing our full part in decarbonising the industry. We're providing passengers through Carbon Click actually with an opportunity to see what the impact of their flights are and an opportunity also to offset the carbon from their travel to and from Manchester. But aviation is, if we're honest, a carbon intensive industry and it will be one of the more difficult industries to decarbonise as we move forwards to that national commitment of of net zero by 2050. So that is exactly the reason we're spending so much time and effort now laying the foundations for the work that we'll be doing over the decades to come. Right, Adam, for the uninitiated, could you put into context, please, in terms of global emissions, the percentage of global carbon emissions that come from the aviation industry? So at a global scale, the aviation industry contributes around 2 to 4% of our annual emissions. And in the UK, we see, as in some other developed countries, that that figure is slightly higher because we have a higher propensity and ability to travel. OK, so we've talked about some of the big challenges. Talk me through some of the wins, the sustainability achievements that you're most proud of here at Manchester. So this is an exciting area. There's lots that I'm really proud of here at Manchester. Manchester, most people won't realise, is actually the home of carbon neutrality in UK airports. We were the first airport in the UK here to be certified independently for making our airport carbon neutral. That's all of our vehicles. It's all of our terminal buildings. And actually behind that headline target, there's lots of other successes that are individually really important. We had the first LED energy efficient lights of any UK airport runway here in Manchester, 
which deliver not just that environmental benefit, but also a much brighter, cleaner light that our flight crew really enjoy because it makes their approach into Manchester easier and arguably safer. We've got a whole host of other initiatives that we're proud of. But for me, kind of if we look at the most recent achievements, my role is broader than just environmental sustainability. It's sustainability in the round. It's routing the airport in the communities that we're closest to. And for me, if you look back at some of the initiatives which we delivered through the COVID-19 pandemic, helping our local communities through contributions to local food banks, dishing out the hundreds of thousands of frozen meals that were sat waiting for passengers who just couldn't travel anywhere, distributing those to local community charities and food banks was just so incredibly valuable and really powerful for me as well and the team who were involved in doing that. And when you talk to your passengers, what sense do you get of the things that they would like from you in terms of sustainability? We talk not just to our passengers, but also our airlines, shareholders and lots of other stakeholders around the airport. We do that quite regularly. And actually what we see is that climate is king, as it were, for local communities. We know that noise is one of the more important issues and my team are working tirelessly on that issue as well. But also things like single-use plastics, we know have become since David Attenborough's work, very, very close to so many people's hearts. And that's why we've been working to eradicate those from our airport lounges here at Manchester. Um, And when we opened the new Terminal 2, actually, we'd work with the retail partners to phase out single-use plastic straws as well. And when you're thinking about sustainability, you're not doing this on your own. You have to work in partnership with the industry, with other parts of the economy. Absolutely. So here in the UK, we are home to an organisation, a coalition called Sustainable Aviation, It was the first of its kind, actually, and Mag is a founding member, to bring together all parts of the industry. So that's the organisations who design and build aircraft, who fly them, the airports who support those aircraft when they arrive in and out, as they do here at Manchester. And to do that with a common approach to sustainability and an ambition to make the industry lower emission and also quieter for local communities. So here in the UK, we set the bar in 2020. Um, We made an industry-wide commitment to decarbonise to net zero by 2050. That actually was the first time the industry anywhere in the world had made that commitment. And what's really exciting is actually what's happened since then, since the industry took the initiative here in the UK. We've seen the government join us, the government later published its Jet Zero strategy and launched its Jet Zero Council. So bringing together two secretaries of state, CEOs as ours of many big companies in the industry, all with that common goal again of achieving net zero aviation by 2050 and zero carbon transatlantic flight within a generation. So some really great goals that we're working towards as an industry. But for me, actually, what's most exciting is the global agreement that we achieved last year. So aviation actually isn't considered in the normal kind of climate cops, which most people are familiar with since Paris. So we hosted a year or so ago up in Glasgow, a cop, there was one last year in Egypt. None of those really consider aviation because our climate goals were actually agreed through a different part of the UN, which is called ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. And actually that met last year, it met in Canada in September. And at ICAO, we reached for the first time a global agreement to what's called a long-term aspirational carbon goal. And that is a commitment to net zero 2050 for aviation right across the world. And when you think about the future of air travel, Adam, are you optimistic? 
I'm hugely optimistic. I'm an environmentalist, but I'm also someone who loves traveling globally, deeply passionate about aviation. Some would say possibly a little bit too geeky about it, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because aviation can achieve net zero. So we can decarbonize the industry, but I'm optimistic because that retains all of the benefits that the industry provides. It's not just benefits for businesses who are trying to work internationally or people who want to go and see friends and family or go on holiday, but also benefit for the region here. So employment, 20 odd thousand jobs at the airport pre-pandemic and even more out in the region in the supply chain. It's benefits for the communities who then have that supply chain in turn kind of playing through to the local region and keeping and growing all of that whilst being sustainable is kind of what keeps me ticking. Because it's it's your area now as much as anyone else's, isn't it? You grew up in a different part of the country, but you moved to the northwest and you live in the northwest. Absolutely. So for me, you know, I'm not a Manc. I'm an honorary Mancunian, as I would say. And I grew up in Shropshire, moved here as many, many thousands of people do each year to come to university. And I guess now, a decade and a half later, I've never really looked back. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So you have made it to the end of our first series. Thank you so much for flying with us. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you stay subscribed to our feed as we will be bringing you all the latest news and developments from Manchester Airport as we head into the summer. Adam, what have been the favourite things that you have learnt yourself in the past six episodes? Oh, look, I mean, really, really hard to pick, if if I'm honest. I've got to say, there's, there's some departments that I spend more time with than others, so... I always love it when we get close to the action and, and get out with the airfield teams and, and see what they do every day and the miracles they, they sort of work to, to get those aircraft off. So I think, you know, meeting the likes of the bird scarers and, and those guys, I think it's always fascinating. Always good to hear from Chris, the gaffer, about um, his vision for the airport and his perspective on things uh, as well. But, you know, in many ways, too difficult a task to pick a winner. Do you know what I choose? I loved driving down the main uh, runway in a car that was equal parts thrilling and terrifying and being up in the control tower and watching the planes coming in and taking off was fantastic but it's been an eclectic mix hasn't it as you say we've spoken to our air traffic controllers to traveling salesmen to the plane spotters to aviation enthusiasts long serving employees to the chaplains educated so many people at manchester airport that's right. And, you know, actually, one thing I, I really do love, you know, going and spending time at is, is the Aerozone. Um, and, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know that we've got a, a classroom that welcomes school children every single day. And what's great about that is it is a mini airport in that classroom and it follows the journey and it, it actually has plastered on the wall all the different careers. And I think there's 80 different careers that we showcase. When you see the young kids come in from school and then perhaps doing maths or English and thinking, why on earth do I need to understand this? And you just see that little spark because they realise, well, I could get to do that job one day and that's why I could study this. You know, the idea that in five years' time we'll be welcoming them on work experience and another five years' time they might actually be working here and seeing those examples of that, I think that really, you know, makes it all worthwhile and makes us understand how powerful and important an institution the airport is. Well, that's all from Adam and from me. Before we go, we're going to leave you with some of our best bits. Happy flying. Uh-oh. Okay, so it beat. He's got a gun in his pocket. It's a water pistol. It's a water be, pistol. To be fair. Just to clarify. <laughs> Obviously, there's airports all around the world, but I'm yet to find somewhere that offers this, the quite the plane spotting experience that Manchester offers. I feel I should name that bird, but it's going to be impossible. He was just a normal, everyday guy, and I, I'm having this conversation with Jay-Z while Beyonce stood in the body scanner. <laughs> <laughs> if you could choose one other job at the airport to do, which one would you go for? CEO. Do you know, I drive in 
each morning. And honestly, I think how lucky I am to be the managing director of Manchester Airport in this moment. 